Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of You Could Hide to Colob podcast. Today, we're doing episode three. My name is Daniel, and this is Clive. We are up to chapter three of Come Follow Me, which is First Nephi chapters six through ten. Yes. Yeah, we've got so much to get through today, Clive. I've got a quote. Um, I know you, you must have one as well, but I thought I'll do mine, and let's get straight into it. Okay, let's do it. So this one is... Way back in 1988, October 1988, you were yet to be born. I was born. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so some time back. This is from Ezra Taft Benson, General Conference. And so he said, and finally, the most important, we commend that vast number of faithful saints who individually and as families are changing their lives, cleansing the inner vessel through the daily reading of the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon is the instrument that God designed to sweep the earth as with a flood to gather his elect. This sacred volume of scriptures needs to become more central in our preaching, our teaching, and our missionary work. That's a good one. Excellent. Mm. Well, like you said, we are on episodes, episode three, chapter six to ten. And, you know, when I opened up chapter six, I thought when, again a throwback when we were reading scriptures when we were young and it would be funny to come to these really small chapters and then I'd think, ah, oh, sweet. It's not going to take us too long to read the Book of Mormon <laughs> yeah, tonight. Right, yeah. And then, and then <laughs> mum would go, oh, we're going to read two chapters tonight. And you go, oh. Yeah, it's a small one and a long one, so we'll just do them both <laughs> together. Oh, good. <laughs> okay. So what have you got? Have you got have you got anything for chapter six? There's how many verses were there? Six verses in chapter six? Six verses. It's quite small. But what I found interesting was that Nephi goes into it saying that I'm going to give you information on my record, on my father's record. He's got his genealogy on there. So I'm not going to bother doing that. I'm happy just to say, or it suffices me to say, obviously is what he says. It's different uh, that we're descendants from Joseph. Right. So to him, he's gone. It's all right. We're descendants from Joseph. That's good enough for me. I'm going to keep writing my record. Basically, if you want to know the genealogy, go and look at the book of Lehi, which again, like we spoke about the past two weeks, the book of Lehi, we, we don't have it anymore. It's lost. In my mind, the book of Lehi, it's 116 pages. And I don't know why, but I've always thought it wasn't that much. And I don't know why I thought it mm. wasn't that much, but I always just thought 116 pages couldn't have been anything too much. But like by much, of, by much, do you mean like it was just a couple of chapters? Or what do you mean? What do you you didn't think? You thought it was a really pages? like the words of Mormon or Enos or something? Yeah, exactly. Just a few pages. I mean, I don't know why it's 116. I, it's very rare, besides from church doctrine, that I read a book that's 116 pages long. <laughs> so I, I don't know why, but in my mind, I didn't think it was that much. But I was looking at the Joseph Smith papers um, about the translation of the Book of Mormon and how many pages it actually was. And besides from the 116 lost pages, there was actually only 488 pages of translated manuscript. So really, to put that in comparison, that's that's a, actually a lot. So the... So another quarter, another the book. What you're saying is the Book of Lehi could have been a whole another quarter of the Book of Mormon as we've got it. Exactly. So, and there would be a lot to it, a lot in there. Like we talked about last week, Lehi had many, many visions. Yeah. So it, there was so much recorded in there, and yeah, it's just it's it's a lot to lose. So, which is unfortunate. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about Nephi, yeah, and he's saying the genealogy. It's in the Book of Lehi. I'm going to talk about the stuff that I want to talk about. And that's sort of this preface of chapter six. Well, I like, um, uh, well, I like chapter six. I like 
verse six, and there's one word that stood out to me, and it was commandment. And he says, wherefore, I shall give commandment unto my seed that they shall not occupy these plates with things that are not of worth unto the children of men. He commands them. And so I wonder how, I was thinking how, when when the plates were sort of passed down, I wondered, you know, is there, was there some kind of oath or is it, it's a special item to be handed down from person to person. And so I wonder, I wondered how that, ceremony or just hey take these but you know nephi our our ancestor you know he wrote in the front here that whoever writes in this make sure they're spiritual matters don't write the you know the regular joe type things that's interesting because there was a few plates there's there's the small plates of nephi the large plates of nephi and then like moroni ether mormon i mean they wrote on scrolls right i guess and then um, they were all compiled together, which I've actually got a really good diagram that we'll put up on our Instagram page if you want to take a look at it. Hi to Colob underscore podcast. So then we move into chapter seven and chapter seven is Lehi commanding his sons that they should go up and catch up with Ishmael. And we know what happened because if we go to verse five, it says here, and it came to pass that the Lord did soften the heart of Ishmael and also his household, insomuch that they took their journey with us down into the wilderness to the tent of our father. So there was so they've, they've gone there and they've achieved success. There's lots of murmuring, and we'll talk about that soon. But what's your take on this, Clive? This always confused me, especially like you said, we read the scriptures when we were very young. And let's go pick a family, and then luckily they've got the right amount of daughters, and we'll just marry them. Coincidence. And obviously it's a different. Coincidence, yeah, but obviously it's a different time back then. We know that there was different things happening, and the Lord obviously organizes things in a certain way. But I did actually find from a discourse in 1882 that Elder Erastus Snow, yep, am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah, Erastus Snow, yep. He explained that after having a discussion with Joseph Smith, that Joseph Smith taught Ishmael was of the lineage of Ephraim, and that his sons married into Lehi's family. And Lehi's sons married Ishmael's daughters. Right. Now, this was before this whole thing happened. He says here, apparently material in the 116 pages of the lost manuscript explained that the children of Lehi and Ishmael had intermarried prior to departing from Jerusalem. That's, I mean, again, lost lost 116 pages really would have helped us out for this. Yeah. But um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, there it explains that, you know, Joseph Smith did say, look, they were already intermarried into that family. So yes, it would have taken the Lord to soften the hearts, but it it wasn't just a random pick. They didn't go, all right, who's happens to have the right amount of daughters available for the right amount of sons? Don't forget Zoram. All right, we've got to find someone for him too. (laughs) It was actually preordained, if you want to say it like that, but they'd already married to the family. They knew this family. Obviously, Ishmael and his family must have believed Lehi right. before all this happened, yeah. I would say, in my mind anyway. What book did you get that from? I actually got this from, it's a a lot of talks compiled together called the 1991 Sperry Synopsum. Okay. And it's called Doctrines of the Book of Mormon. And it's just a lot of talks okay. taken about the Book of Mormon. Yeah, cool. 
Well, I might borrow that off you. But that sounds really interesting. I certainly wasn't of that opinion. I hadn't come across that material that you're talking about. I do know that, um, you know, I do study a fair bit of ancient Jewish material and and, and modern Jewish material as well. And I do know that there was pre-arranged marriages, particularly back then it was really, really normal. I was more coming from the angle that they were pre-arranged. In my head, it made sense that they went to the Valley of Lemuel, were ready to rock and roll, and now they wanted to go and get their families and they wanted to then they were then ready to bring more people on i think it would have been a real challenge for lehi to grab ishmael and go right hey let's just go and i kind of know the way and when we get there we'll figure it out when you're talking about pre-arranged marriage how long is the time frame of pre-arrangement would uh, ishmael's family sort of known soon as your girls get older you're going to marry into this family or like how long's the yeah because they left i mean obviously lehi knew the plan will eventually go back but I guess maybe no one else did that would go back and get wives. Like, what's the what's the prearrangement? Sure. Yeah. Plan. It, well, know that. there was, there's a couple of terms. Probably the most popular terms is uh, mohar. M o h a r is the term. This is where, at a young age, their father would actually. Uh, so Lehi would actually pay a fee, pay a cost, in a, and to enable his sons to be, to be married. If, if you're playing along, if you go to Genesis, and I'm going to spring this on you, Clive, if you want to follow it on yourself. If not, I'll just read of it course. to you anyway. In Genesis 24, so way, way back, in Genesis 20, we've got a little example of that, actually. 24, verse 52, I'll just read two verses. And it came to pass that when Abraham's servants heard their words, he worshipped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and gave them to Rebekah, and gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. In Jewish culture, this is an example of where there's been a, a pre-arrangement and a price paid for the marriage, for essentially for the marriage to, for the marriage to occur. I guess the, there's a couple of angles that make sense, and I'm going to say this is the gospel according to Daniel here. But it does make perfect sense to me that Lehi does go to the Valley of Lemuel and then sort these things out afterwards, whether they were already married, so then they go and fetch their family, or whether they go back because there's a prearrangement. But interesting though, Clive, that in verse five, the Lord the Lord has to act. The Lord has to soften the heart of Ishmael. So at some stage, Ishmael wasn't stoked at the idea at the idea i mean it's a lot it's a lot to pick up your whole family especially if he already has like he must have a big family if he's got um, sons and daughters, daughters. Married, nephi lehi and all them and he's already got other ones on top of that are already married into the family a big family it's a big family to pick up and go into the wilderness even if you did believe lehi it's still a, a lot to go okay well now we've got to go. It's, we're starting this whole new land. It's a big, big take. And I'm going to assume that they were in the upper echelons of Jerusalem as well. Like we talked about this in last week's episode that Lehi and Laban must have been on this on a very similar social level. And so it makes me think that Ishmael must have been on a similar social level as well. It's, yeah, this idea that, hey, I'm going into, um, I think that Jerusalem's going to get destroyed we're going, you should come with us. No, I don't want to. Okay, well, we're going anyway. And then they, and then Lehi gets there and goes, oh man, we, 
we need to go and tell Ishmael. We we maybe we couldn't convince him at the start. You got to go back. We got to get him. Yeah, we'll pray about it. We get the Lord to soften his heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sort of deal. So I th- I think that this will be heavily discussed in gospel doctrine. So I didn't I, I don't know about you, but I didn't want to go through all of the detail. But I do have one interesting point here, which is in verse seventeen. If you're not familiar with it. Uh, this the Ishmael's Ish, Laman and Lemuel aren't super stoked. You know they they want to stay in Jerusalem and and they they get a bit of grief. In verse seventeen here, Nephi he's been bound, he's been tied up. That's that's how things escalate very very quickly. And uh, it says, but it came to pass that I prayed unto the Lord, saying, O Lord, according to my faith which is in Thee, wilt Thou deliver me from the hands of my brethren? And Nephi is really specific here, which is which uh, which I thought was a bit strange. Yea, even give me the strength that I may burst these bands with which I am bound. So give me the strength, and I'm just going to rip these things off the Hulk style. That doesn't that doesn't actually happen. Verse eighteen, and it comes to, and it came to pass that when I had said these words, behold, the bands were loosened from off my hands and feet. And I stood before I my brethren. Was, yeah, I always wondered that as well. Like, is the Lord sort of going, I don't need you to show that it's your strength. I need you to show that it's me loosening it. Mm. Well, then, well, then 19, His, they say uh, in verse 19, and it came to pass that, went, that they were angry with me again. So they've almost gone, you know, they're doing their own thing. Nephi's over there tied up. They look back and Nephi, and they're loose. They've got, they don't know that the Lord has loosened them. Nephi's prayed. Nephi's prayed that he could snap them, snap himself free, and they look back and they, oh man, this guy's loosened, and then then they're super angry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which one of you didn't do a double Windsor? (laughs) So something interesting I thought in this in this passage that might be overlooked a little, and something that I'll always point out right through this because I did make a comment that we we are Laman and Lemuel, and they sought they seek forgiveness in twenty one. And after they had done praying unto the Lord, we did again travel on our journey towards the tent of our father. Yeah, and then we'll find out later that it's they sin again, they seek forgiveness again. It's very up and down, like I said, just like us. Right. Up and down constantly. Con- yes, con- constantly up and down. And they've got Nephi there to remind them, constantly remind them, hey, this wasn't good. You shouldn't have tied me up. Like, <laughs> pray to the Lord now. You know, and, he's, and, and he says, I did exhort them that they would pray unto the Lord their God for forgiveness. I would exhort them. So it just shows the character that Nephi was, that he's, he, he, you know, traveling back from Jerusalem must have been an absolute nightmare, but he still has that character in him to say, hey, that wasn't good. You should receive forgiveness of the Lord, not not of me. It's the Lord who's been offended here. So next we go to chapter 8 and chapter 8 is a great chapter lehi's vision yeah nephi has a similar vision later which we'll get into later but talk about lehi's vision my notes i've got here i found it interesting in my own study and i think i taught this a few years back in institute the setting they were out they were out gathering seeds of every kind he tells them the of the vision he had so i i kept thinking i wonder when when this was, because it says here, yeah, they were out, and it came to pass that while my father tarried in the wilderness, he spake unto us, behold, I have dreamed a dream, or in other words, a vision. Did he have it that night? Did he have it a week earlier? Or did he have it in? Did he have it back in Jerusalem? I'm not sure. You address his Laman Lemuel, saying that he fears exceedingly for them, and then he gets into the vision. Yeah, yeah, guess they're out. 
are they away from everyone else? And like, hey, I just want to share this with you because, yeah, I mean, the vision, it is a bit doom and gloomy for Lehman and Lemuel because, like we said, this is very much up and downs. Um, yeah. yeah, he talks about um, he saw a man and he was dressed in a white robe and he stood in front of him and he spake to him saying that he should follow him. And I always wondered who this man was. Who is this person that, I mean, it's such a significant part of the scriptures. Right. It's not just an invisible human being. I always wondered who it was. I was, I remember being told once that this is the Holy Ghost in the form of a person, but I just can't find any references to that. Mm. And it's always just, yeah, baffled me who it could have been so did you find it out i did not find it out i can't find oh, it. yeah no. i can't find any references to it so there's yeah, i mean there's speculation there's always speculation in the church that it could be you know mm. jesus before he had a body just like when he you know the brother of jared touching the stones which we'll get into ages later way later way later you know is people speculated like i said the holy ghost or it's just another okay. angel. I mean, not just another angel, but an angel, an angel of the Lord came yeah. visit him. But yeah, there's no that I can find references to who this person was. But I always thought it was oh, very yeah. interesting that someone in white appeared to him. You know, like uh, Joseph Smith explains when he saw Moroni enter into his room, he was in a white robe hovering above his bed. So yeah, it's got to be someone of high significance, I think. What does the reference lead you to? The reference leads you to other visions ah uh, okay yeah what is it 5a 5a is dan daniel 10 5 okay all right so no luck there either no no just uh angel i literally i literally as you started talking i started highlighting it okay. expecting you to tell me who it was so i could write it on <laughs> yeah. the side of my scriptures says, and the man now is <laughs> no, no now i've just wrote who was this question mark <laughs> Um, Maybe someone can write in and tell us who it was. That'd be great. With some references, that'd be awesome. Yeah, okay. So then he, he goes, then the man sort of, well, he's in darkness and the, the darkness appears and he's in darkness for hours in this vision. And I always thought that was a lot to, to have this vision of someone's seen me. He's gone, come follow me. They walk in, they see a dark and dreary wasteland and he's traveled for the space of many hours in darkness. And then he begins, begins to pray to the Lord, saying, you know, have mercy on me. I'm in this dark and dreary wasteland in a vision. So it's a dark, dark place. And I like, um, for chapter eight, I actually really like writing it down as it comes. Because it's simple on the surface to say there's an iron rod. And if you hold to the rod, you can eventually make it to Christ's love, the fruit of the tree. And then there's temptation as well. But there is so much detail and you've already you've already started off really well. There's that dark and dreary place. So there's this there's a nothing. So if I write down that there's there's the word dark and then after lots of prayer, there's a mercy according to the multitude of his tender mercy. And then now we open up and there is a large and spacious field. So we were dark. There's nothing. But we're walking on something. We're not. We're not floating. We're not in the great abyss. We're walking on something. It's just dark. Now, all of a sudden, there is a large and spacious field. It's almost like the lights have been turned on and we can see what we're walking on is the best way I can put it in my head is how I certainly feel about it anyway. I don't know if you, you have the similar sort of thoughts. Well, it's interesting you say that because he, Lehi does say that when he saw this large and spacious field, he saw a tree 
And it says that it had fruit that was desirable to make one happy. So he went from this misery of darkness to this, look at this glory and that. That will make me so happy. Yeah. So he, of course, he, interestingly, in this version, and of course, we talked about the book of Lehi. I don't, don't need to mention that again. But in this version, Lehi doesn't appear to say that he has to follow the rod. He doesn't have to follow the iron rod, right? That's right. He's already there. He's there and he turns to his wife, Sariah, and to Sam and to Nephi. And, you know, he says to them, come with, come here. Look where I am. Come and take this fruit. So he was already there. Once the darkness went, I mean, he was in the darkness for a long time though. But yeah, the iron rod and all the things that we're going to discuss in a minute, that was that came after he was already at the fruit. And that's when he bade his family, hey, come here and come take this with me. And interestingly, where are his family? Thirteen, Verse 13. So we're up to First Nephi chapter 8, 13. And as I cast my eyes round about, that perhaps I might discover my family also. So he's got, he's got to the fruit and he immediately, he immediately, I, I began to be desirous that my family should partake of it also. So as soon as he receives, he says, this great joy, exceedingly great joy in his soul. He immediately thinks, where are my loved ones and how can they also have as much joy in their soul as me? And he turns around and now he sees something else, you see, and be, I beheld a river of water. So now I'm going to write that down on my little notepad here, river of water. So now we've got this second piece of scenery and it ran along and it was near the tree of which of which I was partaking the fruit. So now we've got, now we, again, we've got more scenery and more context. When he turns to Sariah, Sam and Nephi, they are just a little ways off and they come to the tree. So we haven't even got to the iron rod part yet, which right. I never really realized until we were studying for this i always thought everyone holds on to the rod and makes it there but they're not far off and they come over and they partake of the fruit well at first they don't know where to go well that's right so they're at the, they're at the head of yeah they were at the head of the they were at, at, at the head i think here and i saw the and i saw the head thereof a little way off and at the head thereof i beheld your mother sarai sam nephi and they stood as if they knew not whether they should go so they they were were they wanderers as well. So he he beckons to them, right? Yeah. He beckons to them, and he and he says to them with a loud voice, and they should come and partake, which was desirable or of above all other fruit. But then what happens next is much more. It appears to be much more difficult for Laman and Lemuel. Laman and Lemuel they're actually across the river. Lehi yells over to them to come and take the fruit. Yeah, he notices then that there's an iron rod extending out to the bank of the river so you know he sort of okay. yells at them to hold on to the rod to make it across something i think is noteworthy though is verse 20 right when it talks about and i beheld a straight and narrow path which came along by the rod of iron it's interesting the way that straight is written there in my mind i always took this as straight as in difficult like straight jacket straight straight okay well i've got it as Straight as in narrow. Straight and narrow and narrow. Narrow. So, well, straight as in substitute the word straight for the word narrow. So I've got it. I've got it marked in my scriptures as, and I also beheld a narrow and narrower path. Right. So, it, you know, so I've got the word straight highlighted in the old, remember the old red mark, scripture markers? Yep. And I've got here straight equals narrow. Right. Straight can be interpreted as just a bass straight, like a straight. straight. 
one four- bet so best rate better best rate for anyone who's not in Australia <laughs> is a body of water. That's right. Yeah, so down south, <laughs> way south. But it's like you know an island plus a a body of water plus another island, like a a strait. In between that, yeah. like a bridge would go over a strait. But it's interesting that it is written specifically that way because I know you've got the same Book of Mormon I do, one from 1948. and if, uh, Not here, but yes, I do have it. Somewhere around you, yeah. If we were to look yeah. at that, if you were to look at the same yeah. chapter, same verse, it's actually written as in straight, like straight line, S-T-R-A-I-G-H-T. Oh, okay. All right, well, I've just grabbed it. Hang on a second. Now, this is this is 1948. This is Book of Mormon. the Book of Mormon from 1948. Yeah. Now, yeah. doing some digging into that, it didn't actually change until 1981. To that, it went from this straight here that I'm looking at in the 1948 version, straight yep. and narrow, as in straight, as in a straight line, as in a straight line, exactly. And it didn't change till 1981 to S T R A I T as in the straight that we're trying to discuss now of what it could possibly be. So it was obviously changed for a reason, because to understand that it wasn't a simple straight line, there was something more to it. It was whether it be straight difficult, straight because it's quite thin. Either way, I think we can both agree on it's a difficult path. It's not just yes. a straight line leading to the tree. Why would you bother holding onto the rod, really? Because it's a straight line, so it's obviously- yeah. That is absolutely not what it, not what it's meant to be. It's definitely not. It was a it was a straight path, narrow. Yes, no one can overtake you. No, exactly. Narrow, not. of course, but straight. No, it, it's a difficult. So in my and I, I think I got taught this in gospel doctrine a number of years ago. This is certainly where I marked it. That it's in my mind. It was it. The path gets narrower and narrower. So it's. Might be nice and wide at the start. Me and you could probably walk together, chatting away, and then it gets it gets thinner. I'm going to substitute the word straight, narrow, thinner and thinner and thinner, and all of a sudden now I'm on my own. Yeah. And the the path is really really narrow, and I've got to traverse it, and not fall in either side, almost balancing to get there because it's it's getting thinner, narrower. Yeah. I mean, no one in the church says, "Hey, the church Jesus is straight and narrow." You know, the, to be right. part of the church, it t- does take a lot. And I guess the way that you interpret it as a narrow, I guess you could see that as when you're a child, you go on your parents' testimony. But then when you're right. by yourself, you've still got to hold on to the word of God because you've really got to make it yourself. You can't rely on anybody else. I guess that was the way I imagine mm. it, your way. The way I thought it was difficult We'll talk about in a minute the great and spacious building. It can be difficult to hold on to the iron rod, to the word of God, and to follow the path because temptations all around, things like that. That's how I always interpret it. So either way, I guess we can just both agree that it's difficult. It's a difficult path. It's It's a difficult path. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And did you 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 didn't find where why the church put out that they changed the spelling from straight to straight? No, but I found talks that specify that it was difficult but not right. specify why it was changed. But it, yeah, it, there's right. no specifics of it changed because it means this. When it's talked about in conferences and things, it's always referenced as a difficult path. Yeah, and I'm just imagining Joseph Smith translating the Book of Mormon. He And he, he would just read, and I also beheld a straight and narrow path. And, and I don't know off the top of my head who was the, the scribe for him in First Nephi chapter 8, but they would have written that down. I wonder what was in the original one. I wonder, maybe someone knows. 
In- really interesting. Really, really interesting. So moving on from that. Yeah, that was Layman and Lemuel. Come grab the rod. Let's get over this path. So there's a couple of things in my in my original sort of train of thought here, and I'm drawing a little picture as we go through the verse. I'm drawing a picture of what it's describing to me. Here it says that uh, in so just finishing the back half of verse 20, uh, and it also led by the head of the fountain. So we're introduced to a fountain unto a large and spacious field as if it had been a world. I was wondering actually when we in next week's episode, we're going to talk about Nephi's vision of this. And I'd, I'd love to talk about this more when we've got both, because there's some excellent work that this world is the Americas. So something else to talk about. And and there's a link to Columbus saying that he's found a new world. And I saw uh, numerous concourse of people. And now we have, a, we have something else. Now we've got mists of darkness. We've, we, and who's at the tree right now? Well, at the tree is uh, Lehi, Nephi, Sam, Sariah. That's they're named Laman and Lemuel, but they would not come. So they didn't. They didn't try. They didn't make it. Then yes. Yeah, so we have the mist of darkness now. So now even an exceedingly great mist of darkness, insomuch that they who had commenced in the path did lose their way, and they wandered off and were lost. So the path now isn't straight and narrow. There's now we're imagining that there's lots of different paths. If I'm not holding onto the rod of iron, I veer off to this path to the left or this path to the right because now it's so dark. It's not easy for me to just walk in one direction and follow follow the rod. Then if we go into verse 24, and it came to pass that I beheld others pressing forward and they came forth and caught hold of the end of the rod of iron and they did press forward through the midst of darkness clinging to the rod of iron, even until they did come forth and partake of the fruit of the tree. So now we've got success. We've got more people who have been able to follow through the mists of darkness. They've been able to hold on to the rod and they've made it through the narrow, difficult, challenging route. And and now we've got more people who have joined Lehi to partake of the fruit. Something that I've noticed, I haven't noticed before, is some people start by holding onto it and then let it go and then get lost. Where here, it says that some people caught onto it and then followed it. So they didn't always start out with it, which I guess is symbolic of people joining the church later on. But still, because you held onto the rod, because you grasped hold of the rod. you know, you You get the fruit at the end. And I like the idea that they're clinging, like... This it's it's a very it's a choice. There's a there's a choice made to use the word clinging. They were really really holding on. They were really persevering. They wanted to get to the end. They wanted this whiteness, this this fruit that Lehi describes so well. Then we've got another. We've got something else now described. Another another part of the puzzle, and that is a great and spacious building, and it stood as it were in the air above high above the earth there's a couple of things to make mention here from the greatest spacious building the just the just the idea the description that it's in the air surmises to me that it's higher it's better things that are someone who's higher than you is better than you right it's it's it plays on ego it plays on a humility side but this this spacious building is in the air like when you look around and go, oh, how can I get up there? Up there looks cool. Up there is up up there is where things are happening. What are people doing up in the air? 
they're mocking. And if you look, there's actually multiple verses here. So Nephi, in his description of Lehi's story, there's verse 27, there's verse 28. And then in verse 29, he says he's not going to speak about all the words of his father. But then he also says, uh, verse 31, multitudes, and he also saw other multitudes feeling their way towards the greatest spacious building. And then in verse 33, they did point the finger of scorn at me. So he says, I'm not going to talk about it anymore. But then he actually does talk about it. He says they were scorned. And this whole idea I was thinking a lot about, what what are they doing in the spacious building? How are they making people feel not great about themselves? They could have been doing any sin. The idea is that there's a uh, righteous family partaking of the fruit. And bear with me here. There's a righteous people on one side taking of the fruit. There's a group of people working their way still down the iron rod, if you can picture that as well, because there's loads and loads of people. Some people get halfway through the rod, fall away, they go down the wrong path. Some take, some some go and take of the fruit and then go, this is not for me, I'm going back into that spacious building, that looks good in there. And they could have been doing any manner of sin in the spacious building. But what are they doing? They are attacking the human mind of not being accepted wanted, being part of society, being different. They could have been doing any sin at all. I guess that's something we all have in common. It's not, you know, hey, come into this and we can drink alcohol or come in here and we can steal things. It's not, hey, this temptation might be good for you, but it's not for them. It's something we all have in common is we all can feel embarrassed or ashamed. And I guess that's really the target they're going we can embarrass and shame these people out of partaking of the fruit. And that's what we'll do because we can't tempt everyone with the same thing, but we can definitely embarrass everyone. So yeah, that's a good point you make. Yeah. I really, I actually like that idea that it's, they wanted to make Lehi be embarrassed. It's yeah. It really falls into the human psyche of, of all of us at a, at a real in-depth level. We all want to be accepted. And if you think back to, you know, I've read some studies on, very very early people we were tribal people and we needed we wanted to we had to be accepted into our communities and we had to also be productive in those communities the very core the foundation of us as humans is that we want to be accepted so i think it's 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 very specific that this was chosen to be the act of the people in the high up great and spacious building something that i'd like to mention is just sort of on the tree of life There was a rock or a stone that was found back in 1935 in Mexico, and they call it the Stella Five Stone, and it depicts the tree of the vision of the tree of life. So it's a stone. It weighs around one and a half tons, and if you have a look at it, we don't have it in front of you, obviously. (laughs) No, no, yeah, I've got it here. Let me grab it out the drawer. (laughs) If you were to look at the stone. It's really quite interesting. It's right in the middle of it is this big tree and either side of it is people an artwork drawing like you've probably made in front of you there. But it, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very, very, very interesting. So it's been dated at least 300 BC. So, and which, you know, right. between 600 and 590 BC is sort of Lehi's vision, but obviously they had records of this. It could have been carved later on down the line. But I think it's really interesting, something that was found that works with the Book of Mormon, works with everything that we're talking about now. Everyone 
listening, you know, Daniel, I think you should definitely look it up. It's very, very yeah. fascinating to look at it. Yeah, it's it's the tree. It's I mean, it can't be really described as anything else. It's the tree. There's a lot of people that have looked into the stone, church members and non-church members alike, and people sort of have their ideas of, well, this person on the left, the way that they're placed, it looks like it could be Lehi because he's sort of higher than there's Nephi and, and the Sam and all those people around. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's put that on our Instagram as well. I'd love to see it. Awesome. We're not talking to people who need the evidence, but I think it's very, very interesting things like that. Sure. Well, now we come to chapter nine, another really small chapter. And we we just we did talk about this last week when you were talking about the colophons, actually. We, we talked about chapter nine. And I, I went, actually, after we spoke, and I, I went and I highlighted here, uh, but the Lord knoweth all things. This is this is chapter 9, verse 6. The Lord knoweth all things from the beginning. Wherefore, he prepareth a way to accomplish all his works among the children of men. For behold, he hath all power unto the fulfilling of all his words, and thus it is. Amen. Which is specifically what you were talking about. Yeah, that's right. So Nephi, he sort of wraps it up. He wraps up all the dealings with his the things that his father's spoken to him. He said, all right, this is... From chapters one through nine, obviously didn't have chapters back then, but now we do. So it's easy for us to understand that he's gone anything before here. This was my father. This is what he's talking about. So then he can go chapter 10, the next part. This is my record. And these are the things that I'm writing. So if you want to learn more about what's happened, go look in the book of Lehi, which again, (laughs) we don't have. So we don't have. Yeah, I'm sure I'll I'll bring it up a lot more. I'm trying yeah, to yeah. I feel like, you know, it was really important. But anyway, so yeah, so first and second Nephi is written on, like I mentioned at the beginning, it's written on the small plates and Lehi is written on the bigger plates of Nephi. So Nephi has gone, these two small plates that are, oh, sorry, these small plates that I've written on, these are going to be my writings and the bigger plates, that's, that's of my father. And so I can end it. Thus it is, amen. The end of the colophon, that's that section. I've completely sure. finished this because then he goes into chapter 10 and says, now I Nephi proceed to make an account upon these plates of my proceedings. So then he says, yeah, this, and my reign that's and right. ministry and ministry. Yeah. But then he also says, because I mean, a lot of the times when you're reading the scriptures, you can sort of be confused going, wait, who's talking now? So he makes it clear here. He says to proceed with mine account, I must speak somewhat of the things of my father and also my brethren. So sometimes he can get into, well, then my father said this and my father said this because it's important to the things that I have to share. So just keep that in mind when you're reading that his record, but he does still refer back to his father and the things that his father said. So here we have in verse two, so chapter 10, verse two, Nephi says that after his father had made an end of speaking about the dream, he then tells them about another dream or or an, an, the other vision he had, which is about the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, he says here, they should return again, yet even be brought back out of captivity. So he sees loads of things that is happening. And Lehi would have known of this vision way before, way before, right? That's, you know, I think you were talking about that last week in terms of Nephi's vision and the destruction that he sees yeah that's right lehi sees uh when he's given the book one thing he does specify that he reads the uh, destruction of jerusalem being captive from babylon which goes over to the dream nebuchadnezzar has so it all ties in together he then do you think he had do you think he had the tree of life dream at the same time because he's he obviously already has this information 
And he's used this time where he's out with his sons to share with them. Like how long, how long, how long before did he, we know of the, the Jerusalem destruction part that was way back in chapter two, chapter one. But what about the tree of life? Could he have had that vision at the same time? Yeah, it's possible. You know, I've never thought of that. What you just said before, where after he's speaking about the tree of life vision, he then talks to them about the Jews. I always, in my mind, it was always a separate day, separate time, but you're right. It is straight away. So it, it would make sense. I suppose he's gone. Now's the time I speak to them about the things that I've seen in my vision. And then he sort of gets into it because mm. he talks about this. He talks about the destruction of Jerusalem, which was, he did see in that, that book. Then he goes on to talk about the Gentiles. So yeah, it's an, an interesting point. Was it all in the one? And he's gone, all right, now that my sons are with me, it's time to talk to them about the things that I've heard and seen. So chapter, chapter 10, as a, as a little bit of a summary is a full lesson. Lehi teaches his sons a full lesson about Christ. And we get a lot of great information here. I, I don't recall a quote. I'm going to take a note and, mem- and memorize and, and check it out. But I do remember a general authority saying, if you want to learn anything about our doctrine at all, it can all be found in the Book of Mormon. And chapter 10 is full of great information. It's likened to, there's parts here in, in verse 12. Uh, likened unto an olive tree about the branches we know this but there's so much information about baptism about a christ coming and being baptized yeah excellent information john the baptist preparing the way there is a yeah like i said there's a lot i mean you can teach an entire institute class just on this one chapter it's breaks it basically compresses a lot of the what we read in the the bible it's a really good one it's got a lot of interesting information in there Just where you're talking about the olive tree, I thought that was an interesting point. We talk about the olive tree a lot through the scriptures. Right. I wanted to understand a bit more of why the olive tree. It's not really something that me and you are really handymen in (laughs) working with olive Olive trees. Yeah. Um, But I did, later on in this same chapter, he talks about the scattering of the gentiles and he talks about how that's like an olive tree an olive branch that breaks off and is scattered and just an interesting thing to note with olive trees you can break a branch off and replant it and it will grow so i thought that was just an interesting point that he's made there obviously this was something that nephi and his brothers probably knew about horticulture of an olive tree not something that we're 100 familiar with but i guess that's the point he was making there was break off the branch but it'll still grow again just like these gentiles they're spread all about from this one olive tree they're all spread about and they'll they'll grow yeah we will leave this leave this one let let you have a good read of it a good study of chapter 10 and we're interested in your thoughts on on the lehi's dream and your thoughts on chapter 10 as well there's some absolutely outstanding verses there that we could spend another hour going through, but but we're not today. Yeah, we're pretty much out of time. But yeah, definitely, if you've got anything interesting you want to give at it, throw at us, just send us a message. If you wouldn't mind, I'd like to read a quote here from Lorenzo Snow. Now, right. this quote, it's not, it's something that I want to achieve, that I want to be able to say, and this is what he says. I am one that has received from the Lord the strongest revelation concerning the truth of this work. 
that manifestation was with me powerfully for hours and hours and whatever circumstances may occur in my life as long as my memory lasts this perfect knowledge will remain with me that's from a general conference from 1900 after he was explaining the time he got to sit down with joseph smith and talk about the the doctrine what did he say at the end the perfect the perfect knowledge that's right the perfect knowledge will remain with me yeah great quote to finish us off actually really really good i love that whole that whole terminology perfect knowledge thank you to everyone we appreciate you joining us love to get more of your questions and prompts to us of other things to look at we appreciate your time spending it with us and we will see you next week for episode four which starts at chapter 11 of of first nephi we really hope you're enjoying the book of mormon this year i know i know i am a lot well thanks everybody for listening can't wait to do this all again next week we'll be doing episode four and that's first nephi chapters 11 through 15